Everybody, whether you're the president of a company or the paperboy, everybody has the exact same amount of time. You and I both have 24 hours a day. No more, no less. The question is, what do you do with your time? Welcome to ZBooks Successful Authors Podcast. And with me today, I have a repeat offender. He's putting Tim Ferriss in the shadows. So let's manifest some destiny with Gregory Deal. Hi, Gregory. How you doing? Hey, Eric. It's good to be back. I do believe last time we spoke, I was in the mountains of Morocco. And now I am in the southern island of the Philippines, Davao. Awesome. What city? Davao is the name of the city, Mindanao Island. Isn't that where they just had like a revolution or something? I don't know. Did they have a revolution here? <laughs> no, it but seems I... like there are always revolutions going on. <laughs> the there are how many islands in the Philippines? Like a thousand or oh, something? A couple hundred, I think. Crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, you're right. Uh, last time you were on a mountain in Morocco and the minarets were blaring the music and we kept getting cut off. I don't know. Right. Prayer call kept going off. Yeah, <laughs> that was cool. Yeah. So, um, uh, last time we talked, you had brought your previous book to number one in small business, and you've been in the top 10 in small business and business categories in Amazon for over a year. So that is some awesome consistency. Uh, I wanted to get into that. But before we get into that, let's, um, let's start, uh, you know, simple stuff. You're in the Philippines right now. How long have you been there? Just a couple of months so far. Okay, cool. And uh, where were you before that? I was in a mountainous village in my ancestral home of Armenia, which is not a country that gets very much tourism. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I ended up getting citizenship there a couple of years ago. I ended up liking it. So I bought a house there this last time I was there. Nice, nice. Um, are you... Uh, you are living, what do you call it, the uh, digital nomad lifestyle, aren't you? And it's all well, from your books? That's uh, one way to look at it. I, um, yeah. I am a perpetual traveler, certainly, although the frequency with which I travel tends to uh, differ a lot. Like I used mm-hmm. to be going to a new country every few weeks or every few months. And yeah. now I might stay in a place for up to six months, which for me is a really long time. And mm-hmm. it forces me to only be places I actually really want to be. Like not mm-hmm. just to hop around from place to place for the sake of going to a new place. So I don't embody a lot of the same personality traits and lifestyle mm-hmm. traits as a typical digital nomad who's just hustling from their laptop by a pool, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm more of a hermit. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely starting to embrace the isolated life of, of an author. Really? So, Yes, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time just focusing on writing and editing and staying away from people as much as I can. <laughs> sometimes that's not possible. Those damn people, huh? Anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway but um, I remember in one of our conversations, you were thinking of settling down in Nicaragua or Ecuador, and I was going on about... I, I do have a little house in Ecuador, too, uh, which oh. I plan to to next time I'm in South America, keep building. So I'm, I'm homesteading now in a couple different parts of the world. I got South America <laughs> and Europe. That is awesome. I love the concept of homesteading in multiple countries. You have to write a book about that one too. When I've done it a few more times, I probably will. I'm still something of a newbie. 
Okay, before we get into the meat, let's just, just a quick um, uh, contrast Philippines versus Ecuador. Oh, I mean, well, interestingly, the Philippines is probably the most Latin part of Asia, hmm. right? There is, I, I don't know why, I guess, Spanish settlers imparted a lot of their culture and their genes here. So it's, it's almost like the people here are a mix of what you would think of as typical pure Asians, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they're almost like, like a mixed breed with, with a lot of Spanish genes in them too, which I find actually to be very interesting from a cultural perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously there are a lot of differences between South America and Southeast Asia, but in that regard, the Philippines is much more familiar culturally than a place like probably China or mm-hmm. uh, Thailand or Vietnam or Indonesia. They mm-hmm. speak English here. It's a Christian country. Uh, you know, so there's there's a lot more. It's it's it'd be much easier, for example, an American who had never left his country to adapt to the Philippines than most other parts of Asia, I would think. Interesting. So, if you had to choose one house, Philippines or Ecuador, which one would you choose? Well, I I haven't bought a house in the Philippines yet, although oh, okay. I have considered the possibility. I think it'd be nice to have a base of operations somewhere in Asia, and the Philippines might be the place for that. But if I had to choose between Ecuador and Armenia in, in Eastern Europe, uh, that's a tough one mm-hmm. because I don't speak Armenian, mm-hmm. but I do speak Spanish, so I can get by pretty well in Ecuador. Armenia is still something of an un, unknown quantity. I just know I liked it enough to at yeah. least want to have the option to return there and, yeah. and settle there and be really isolated from people and just be surrounded by beauty and be, it's, you know, it's almost like I've dropped off the map when I go to Armenia because literally no one knows where it is. No one knows anything about the culture. I do. It's like I have, well, <laughs> 99% of people, it's like okay. I just... When I say I'm in Ecuador or the Philippines, people know where I am. They have a rough idea of what things yeah. are like there. But Armenia, no, total unknown yeah. quantity. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of an unfair question making you choose between the two. That's not the point of Digital Nomad, is it? So, um, so you wrote your new book. Uh, tell us about your new book. Well, the new book is called The Influential Author, subtitle How and Why to Write, Publish, and Sell Nonfiction Books That Matter. And as mm-hmm. that subtitle suggests, it is the result of the success that I've had with my first few books like Brand Identity Breakthrough and Travel is Transformation, and also the other books I've helped other authors publish, depending on their specialty and their focus, some very unconventional, like a, like a sexual memoir called Venus and Her Lover, a, a guide to U.S. expat taxes called U.S. Taxes for Worldly Americans by an accountant named Olivia Wagner. So all of these experiences have given me an interesting outlook on how to turn ideas and philosophies into profitable and meaningful nonfiction books, right? Right. And I certainly plan to write a lot more of my own books, but I wanted to first write this book to capture everything I had learned, both from the mm-hmm. philosophical perspective of, you know, like, how do you know what to write? How do you organize your thoughts? The tactical perspective to, okay, now how do you outline and draft and edit your book? And then the publishing perspective of you know, how, do, how do I make this as professional as possible for the market and make people actually want to buy it and get it in front of the right people? Right. It ended up being a pretty long book. It's over 500 pages, which is more than twice as much as I've written on any other subject so far. Mm -hmm. And I think although there are a lot of books on self-publishing and and writing nonfiction books, I think this really takes a unique approach 
to this familiar subject, and hopefully there will prove to be a sufficient market demand for this unique approach. Yeah, that I am. Um, I'm like you said, it's 500 pages. I started reading it, and I've made some notes here. But uh, let's see. Let's get into. I have to call up my notes first. So, so what did you do differently with this book than the previous books? So, for example, with your marketing, what has changed? Well, I'm much more familiar with the landscape of how to get visibility to books now, even mm -hmm. though it is different for each book because each book has a different audience unless you were just writing a bunch of books on the same subject, which I guess some people do. But every yeah. book that I've written or produced for other people has been pretty different from all the others, right? So I mm -hmm. can't just keep spamming to the same people, hey, check out my new travel book, you know, because yeah. I only have one travel book and I don't think I will write another travel book. You know, or if I did, it would be so different than Travel's Transformation that it might not even appeal to the same people, right? Although there probably are, you know, some subcategory of people who would just like to read anything Gregory Deal writes because they like the way I think. <laughs> That's not a, necessarily sad that you've got fans that want to read everything you want. Yeah, I, I don't know how to target those people, though. There's no, there's no way to promote specifically to those people unless I okay. cultivate them myself and have my own list, of course, which is a common tactic for many authors, but not one that I've actually used very much. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd rather be focusing on bringing new faces to my work than just marketing to the same people who, who already know that they like me. I want to create as much word of mouth as possible. I want to have the broadest reach possible of whoever will benefit from what any of my individual books has to offer. Okay, so, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, yeah to I, me, it's, it's just the targeting element is much easier now, knowing specifically what kind of person is going to find this valuable, even if they've never heard of me. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm looking at your book, and we're going to take a deep dive on that in a minute, for sure, my friend. But um, I, I just have to get some of these quotes out of your book because, first, because they're pretty cool. So the one was that um, no. the mass publishing of printed books in America began in 1638 and without the pen of pain, the sword of 18 audience w could change the world. Oh man, I messed that one up. I so, think so I know the, what part you're referring to. Yeah. So without Thomas Paine, there would have been no revolution. Okay, so in that section of the book, it's very early on. Actually, I think that's actually that's the first chapter of the book, the uh, the historical influence of writing. I'm I'm trying to give examples of while communication mediums have come and gone throughout yeah. our history as a technologically advanced species, uh, yeah. we still have books in roughly the same form as when they were first being mass printed. Mm -hmm. Even now some 400 years later. And I think there's a very important reason why books have remained what I call the gold standard for ideas that matter. And I give it, I give a few examples, uh, one of which is Isaac Newton's Philosophiae Naturalis Principia Mathematica, which mm -hmm. means mathematical principles of natural philosophy, which some people consider the most important mathematical text ever written and more or less directly yeah. responsible for the industrial revolution in all of modern science. Right? And he didn't but, want to print it, did he? He didn't want to write it. Yes. Yeah. And I mentioned that, that apparently, you know, it was his friend, astronomer Edmund Halley, who insisted, this is yeah. so important. You absolutely have to publish this. I yeah. will pay for this yeah. just because I believe the ideas need to get out That's there. 
Pretty and then cool. e- not even within Isaac Newton's lifetime, but a generation later, apparently, is when it started to actually pick up speed and people started saying, wow, this is gravitation. Wow, the laws of physics, this is pretty wild yeah. stuff. You know, we got to pay attention to this. Yeah. So that, that just shows you, too, it demonstrates another point that books have a certain timeless longevity that you're not going to find in, in music, mo- well, most music or, or mm-hmm. movies or or yeah. YouTube channels or podcasts, you know, ironically, like what we're talking about now. Like, do you think there's going to be the same demand and value for the conversation we're having right now in the form we're having it a hundred years from now? Almost zero chance, basically, right? Mm-hmm. But books have this timeless longevity that even generations after the author has died, they can continue to spread and grow and have this mm-hmm. amazing influence. And the Thomas Paine one you mentioned was I give the example of uh, common sense. Yeah. written by Thomas Paine during the American Revolution, which many historians believe, believe to be basically the most direct uh, cause of the American Revolution, that, that mm-hmm. if Thomas Paine had not distributed this pamphlet throughout the 13 colonies, basically none of the common people would have been in favor of independence from the British colonies. Mm-hmm. And that quote came from um, John Adams, who said yeah. after the signing of the Declaration of the Independence and, and establishing independence, Without the pen of pain, the sword of Washington would have been wielded in vain. So ah, that's what it was. Very yeah, the good. The war, the fighting wouldn't have meant anything if you didn't actually yeah. have mass support from people for this literally unprecedented cause, yeah. right? as far as my understanding of history, that something like the American Revolution, true independence from a former monarch, was, yeah. had never happened before at all in history. And since then, it's happened many times, probably because the U.S., independence was so successful and all that can be directly traced back to the influence that Thomas Paine's common sense had by distributing that book. That's awesome. You know, and I'm not thinking necessarily that anyone who reads the influential author is going to be the world's next Isaac Newton or Thomas Paine, although it's a possibility, but you don't (laughs) have to be one of the most important influential geniuses or social revolutionaries that ever existed to have meaningful influence and have ideas that are worth spreading and sharing in the form of a book. And you go on to say, uh, Common Sense challenged the institution of the British monarchy and became the best-selling book per capita in American history. Do you know how many books that was? I cannot recall offhand. I do remember I verified the statistic in a couple of different sources, uh, and I, I was seemed pretty consistent that what they had to say was that, you know, per capita, there were, there were far yeah. less people in America, yeah. Yeah. right? Back in <laughs> than there are now. But the point is that, you know, some ridiculously high percentage of that small number of people had a copy of common sense. But that's cool. The, the book that helped start America was also one of the best sellers of all history, American history. That's fitting. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what else has changed? How has your writing and editing changed? Well, I'm much more aware of the mechanics of writing, and I I like to think of it as transmuting thoughts into written words. And Mm -hmm. some people struggle with writing because they don't know what they want to write. They haven't formed the thoughts yet, the ideology, you know, the the paradigm, the structure of knowledge in their mind, so they have nothing to transmute. So they're sitting there trying to think, what am I trying to say here? You know, so they can't transmute something that doesn't exist yet. And then other people have problems with the actual transmutation itself where they they know what they want to say it all makes perfect sense in their mind but they don't have enough practice of putting it down as words that will be decipherable by someone else without incurring a lot of cognitive stress Hmm. and 
I've more or less solved both of those because I don't start writing a book now until I am sure that I know exactly what I'm trying to say and that I have enough to say that will justify the existence of an entire book. Like I wouldn't just write, start writing a book uh, because I had a mild interest in something. Like uh, you gave the example of homesteading in other countries. So that's something I, I've done twice now, which is probably more than most people certainly. But mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's something that just sort of happens spontaneously because at the time it seemed like a good opportunity. You know, yeah. like I'm interested in that subject. I would read books other people had written about that subject. But if I sat down and tried to write a book, you know, I, I'd probably write a few pages about my experience so far, and then I'd be grasping at straws. Like, okay, where do I go from here? I don't know. I don't know enough about the subject. I'm interested in the subject, but there's not enough knowledge in my head to go from here. Yeah. And so I, I write about things that I know I have an enormous amount of things to say about that subject because I'm very opinionated and I'm very experienced in that thing. And I've mm -hmm. seen most angles of that thing. So I can approach it, you know, in a comprehensive and cohesive manner. Yeah. And I'm much better now too at just the mechanics of actually writing, which I think only just comes with practice, right? It's, it's like any other activity through repetition, you get better and better and better at it. The mm -hmm. endurance required to sit and write or not even necessarily sit and write for many hours at a time, but maybe you write a couple paragraphs now, take a mm -hmm. break and play video games for an hour, come back, write a few more paragraphs, go back to the first chapter because you just remembered you wanted to add something in that part about such and such. You know, yeah. your brain just gets better at dealing with large amounts of text and adding to and, mm -hmm. and deleting in the case of editing and rewriting. It's, it's like anything else that just through enough exposure, you know, your brain adapts and learns how to work in this universe. So how long did it take you to write these 500 pages? Well, that's hard to answer because, you know, it's not like I'm working on it 16 hours a day every day. Yeah. But I had the initial inspiration for the book about a year ago. You know, okay. so in that amount of time, I was able to first construct the outline, write various chapters to full length, readjust what the outline was going to be, edit those chapters, write more chapters, and, and this constant back and forth process, and ex you give it to beta readers and editors and proofreaders, and, you know, it's not just writing, it's so many other things, and of course, I'm doing a lot of other things in my life at the same time, and I'm working yep. on even other books at the same time, so... Uh, you know, I couldn't force myself to work on it full time all day, every day, nor would I want to, but we working on it at a casual pace. It took me about a year. So would you consider yourself now a full time author or creator or writer? I'm not a full time anything. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't limit myself to one set of creative opportunities. Uh, I would say books are my main focus right now. Okay. And I would like to write a lot more of them, and that concerns me more than most other things I could be doing with my time. It's not yeah. my only source of income, uh, but it is a good one, and it is a good way to focus my creative nature. And I can, you know, it is very personally rewarding for me if I can actually get a really good book written that actually teaches important things to people. And I know I'm just beginning in that regard. And the next books I write are probably going to be exponentially more meaningful and valuable for the people who read them. And it's fun, isn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's stressful and, and tedious at times, sure. Yeah. But yes, uh, to me, it is rewarding to be able to organize my knowledge on paper. And that is worth the tedium and boredom at times. Yeah, I know what you're talking about there. I get a lot of fun out of it too and rewards. So let's get back to what we were talking about. You were saying you had the problem targeting or was more difficult targeting your true fans, kind of the, 
the diehards. So let's talk about ads and how you target then. How are you doing it? Well, most of the ads I run are just the ones that are on Amazon's native platform. You know, you, mm -hmm. you can, they used to call it AMS, but I re think they recently rebranded it to Amazon advertising. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, that just makes a whole lot more sense than basically any other kind of ad you could run, like social media marketing or, or paying you know, people to tweet out thousands of you know, tweets about your book. Uh, because when people are on Amazon looking at other books that are similar to yours or searching keywords that are related to your book, mm -hmm. they're already looking to buy a book, right? Yeah, they just right. need to know which one or which ones, in the case of multiple purchases, they should be buying. So at that point, all you need to do is insert your book into their perception and say, hey, how about this one? Does this answer the question that you're asking? And if you've done your targeting well, like you know, getting it to show up on related books and in related subject categories and for related subject uh, keywords, then the answer is very often going to be, yes, that is what I was looking for. Okay, mm -hmm. let's try that one. $9.99, sure, no problem. So, uh, but have you, okay, you know, Facebook ads were the gold standard for a long time before Amazon ads came out. So have you tried those too? No, I haven't at all. Interesting. I, I mean, that's the kind of thing that if I could find someone who said that they were a Facebook ad expert specifically for books, not just like Facebook ads yeah. in general, I'd be willing to give that a shot. Mm -hmm. But I'd rather stick to what I know has a much higher chance mm -hmm. of working. You know, unless yeah. someone could demonstrate to me that Facebook is, is the best way to convert at least on the level of paying per click. We can uh, talk about that after the podcast, and I'll, I'll give you some tips there. I've got a lot of experience there, but um, I'm not a six-figure author yet. I have to sense, uh, say that disclaimer. But <laughs> um, So, okay, so Amazon ads, I love them, but I've noticed I have books they sell without any ads. So, for example, my children's Print books are just kicking butt. Uh, I mean, my print books make 90% of my revenue. My ebooks are mostly just like lead magnets to my print books. <coughs> Excuse me. But then there's other books. They only make money when I run an ad in Amazon. And <clears throat> so um, what does that tell you? Anything? Any, any ideas there? Well, I would just ask how the people are finding your print books without any ads. Right, there has mm -hmm. to be some way that they become aware of them. Maybe they're ranking really highly in certain categories and they <coughs> show up search terms, or you've just got this huge underground cult following that you don't even know about. <laughs> People are constantly saying, well, check out this guy, Eric Z's print children's books. Yeah. You know? But one well, way or another, they have to find out about it, right? There's this wonderful tool called Yaziv, but you, you don't actually need that. But Yaziv is a, a visual display of all the, the products and books, not just books, but products that link to your book. I think it's called yaziv.com. So I could see in that tool straight away that Amazon's algorithm has picked my one or two books up, and I'm pretty sure that's where the traffic is coming from. And then, you know, you get the Christmas bump too. But I was more wondering, um, uh, with the other one or two books, they do really well when I, when I run keyword ads. And then once, uh, once I stop the ads, then it just drops off like night and day, you know. So I'm, I'm wondering, I'm thinking of different ways to get those books to stick in the algorithm, you know. Yeah, uh, I, I know that, you know, if, if you get enough sales from a certain type of audience, 
who read a certain type of books and have it in their Amazon account that they have bought these books. And of course, your book will start showing up more under the section called customers who bought this book also bought these other books. Yeah. You know, it's, so it's, it's really cool if you can get your book to show up in that for another book that is very popular. You know, it just depends if it's the kind of book, I think, where people only need to read one book and then they're done, or if it's the kind of yeah. subject where you want to read everything possible about that. I yeah. think something like business books is the kind of subject where you're going to read half a dozen books on the same subject just to learn everything you possibly can about it. So brand identity breakthrough probably really benefits a lot from this shared promotion with other branding books, then I don't view them as my competition. I view them as complimentary. Yeah. I think if you read their book, you say, mm -hmm. that was pretty good, but now I want to learn a little bit more about, you know, or I want a little bit more mm -hmm. intellectual approach to say, oh, well, people who bought this book also bought this other book by someone I've never heard of named Gregory Deal. Let's mm -hmm. check that <laughs> one out too. Right? So what is this shared promotion that you just mentioned? Well, in that case, it was specifically meaning Amazon's, you know, oh. customers who bought this book also about other books, but you can, of course, any way that you can work it out, reach out to other authors who write complimentary books to yours and see if there's some way you can co-promote with each other. Yeah. Have you done that? Uh, to a limited degree, actually, I, the guy who wrote the new forward to my, to my recent update of Brand Identity Breakthroughs, his name is Kyle Gray. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a, a similar competing book called The Story Engine, which was about you know, producing content to grow your brand. I think I've heard that, yeah. 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 Well, it's, it shows up a lot on my book's listing and my book shows up a lot on his listing. So it was a natural fit. And again, they're not directly competing with each other. Like they, they take very different approaches to a related subject. So if you read mine and you want a little bit more like hands-on uh, tactical advice on how to implement the principles of brand identity breakthrough, the story mm -hmm. engine is probably a pretty good book to read or vice versa. If you read his and you want to go a little bit deeper with the philosophy and the principles behind a good brand, then you might want to read mine, right? Or any yeah. of the other dozens of branding books that have ever been written. And I, I have a feeling, based on what I know about the market for books on self-publishing and authorship, the same will probably apply there. That if I can cross-promote with my quote-unquote competition, that will probably benefit both of us. Cool. So are you, what is like on the horizon? Are you going to make a box set with him or, or something? Or? I, I have no idea how that would work on Amazon, but you know, if, if you have another author who has an emailing list or a large social media mm -hmm. following, then why not exchange promotion of each other's books? But I think in the yeah. case of, of Kyle Gray from the story engine, just having his name as the author to the forward on my book probably helps us both just having that name association between the two of us. Yeah, you're, you're totally right with that. I, I just bought a book about content marketing and lo and behold, Dave Chesson was one of the editorial reviewers there and right up there if I didn't see that, I would not have bought the book. So that's a good technique for sure. Sure. And the guy who wrote the forward to my new book, The Influential Author, his name is Tom Morcus. Mm -hmm. He's he's pretty big in the self-publishing space. He, he runs a company called Insurgent Publishing, and uh, he wrote a book called The Art of Instigating. And you know, I heard about him when I first published Brand Identity Breakthrough two years ago. Oh, yeah. And now he's writing the forward to my book on self-publishing. You know, and he's pretty well respected in the space. So I predict that will probably uh, help my book get, gain some visibility just to be associated with his name and probably help him cement his reputation as the publishing expert too. Yeah, did you take an online course or hire him or anything? No, we, we just got in contact about book promotion and, and he actually 
wanted brand identity breakthrough included in, in a bundle he was promoting on business books. And we just stayed wow. in contact since then. And, and I followed up with him and said, Hey, I think you'd be the perfect person to write the forward to this book. And he was very excited to do so. That's cool. Getting uh, included in a bundle of, yeah, that's, that's another cross promotional type thing, huh? Yeah, I wasn't the one who organized that, but such people do exist where they'll take a bunch of digital products like courses and books and memberships and offer them, you know, like, like 50 different products for $99 for this limited time, you know? Yeah. So um, what about book launching services and promotion services like Buck Books and stuff? I've used Buck Books. Uh, it's hard for me to track exactly, you know, where like free downloads come from when I do a free ebook promotion, which I usually try to do with each book shortly after it's launched just to yeah. really inject some uh, visibility <laughs> to an unknown product. And actually, I think every free ebook promotion I've done, again, whether it's like an aphrodisiac cookbook or a travel and philosophy book has gotten to the top 100 of free ebooks on Amazon during the day that it's being promoted, which I guess must be pretty good you know, like a few thousand yeah. free downloads. And some of those uh, are from people that, you know, are my advanced readers, for example. I want them to be able to leave a verified purchase review. So I say, hey, we'll download it when it's free and then it will be in your Amazon account and you can leave a verified review. Yeah. So that's yeah. pretty useful for that. And uh, I have to assume, you know, that with enough people downloading the book, some of them do read it, some of them do tell their friends, some of them do write reviews. But at the very least, it signals to Amazon, hey, a lot of people are downloading this book maybe this book is pretty good. Let's give it some more visibility in our search rankings and so forth. I thought they um, did 99 cent books. They also do permafreeze too then, huh? I might be thinking of BookBub. I can't remember. Ah, uh, okay. No, I, I, too many BBs. Buck books. I thought they didn't, I didn't know that they did free when books are free either. Oh, that's good to know. Uh, any other promotion services or, or book launching sites or anything? No, I mean, I've, I've paid virtual assistants and, and certain providers and websites like Fiverr to help, you know, mm -hmm. spam out my book link when it's on promotion or when it's new or something mm -hmm. just to try to, to jumpstart some traction into the market. But I think in the long run, it's mostly about having a book that is very, very, very well targeted for a specific type of reader, the kind where the title almost sells the book itself, right? Where you, yeah. And I talk about this a lot in The Influential Author, like when choosing a title for your book, it should be one that you read it and you instantly know what the book is and what you're going to get if you read it and exactly what type of person it is meant for. Mm -hmm. And if you are that type of person, you say, oh yes, that is the book I've been looking for. Yeah, it's... um. So you've got a really sleek system. Uh, just, you know, you concentrate on, on the one book launch or the, the, what's it called, the free book launch, and then you use Amazon ads later. And, and those two alone are, you're really, um, they're really enough, huh? Well, again, this is all assuming that you have a book that people actually want to read. You know, you can't yeah. just say, oh, well, I'll just put, whatever out there and people will buy it eventually and it, it can be a slow burn like it can take some time to build up market traction and of course i do things like the podcast where i'm talking to you right now though i have yeah. a, no way to track how how many sales that leads to i don't know yeah. it could be zero people who listen to this want to go read the influential author or it could be thousands like how how could i possibly know that right yeah but you know if i do enough of them if i do a couple dozen interviews talking about this book for people who specifically cater to you know, listeners and readers who are interested in the kind of book that I'm selling, then I, you know, I can assume that a fair amount of them are turning into sales, right? Yeah. 
And if you can do that enough times, then you create a snowball effect because happy yeah. readers tell other readers, hey, check out this book. Yeah. Well, I like that because instead of doing Pinterest ads and uh, Facebook ads and Twitter, whatever, you know, then you just stick to uh, the, your 80-20, the two systems that really work well and, and go deep with them. And uh, it looks like it's working well. So I'm I'll sure that, that if, I, if I wanted to invest a lot of my time into trying new promotion strategies, I could find ones that were a lot more effective or I could be putting a lot more money into paid ads and getting a much larger return. Yeah. And I, I fear that if I do that, then most of my job will be promoting, right? <laughs> yeah. As yeah. Now I have a system that at least once it's set up is, is mostly passive. It doesn't yeah. require a lot of interaction from me. The book keeps selling. I keep getting royalties in my bank account and I can focus on writing the next book. And that's, that's what I, yeah. I want to be at. That's what I love about books. When you get them right, then they are the closest thing to passive income out there. And uh, so like I said, my one book is selling without any advertisement, nothing. It's just making profit for years now and I'm loving it. But um, so it, it's really interesting because you're, it's a, a little bit of a contrast now. Right now, um, Shane Silvers is burning up the blogosphere. He was on uh, Mark Dawson's podcast and he did... Uh, he did Facebook ads. He took Mark Dawson's course and, and learned Facebook ads. And with two, actually two books, uh, novel-sized books, then he, you know, he's, he's like this, you know, the, may, not the exception, but uh, also not uh, typical results. He went straight to, you know, 10K a month. And now he's going to have, a, you know, a, a six or seven-figure year even. And then he did the thing where he set up the, then a novella, so permanently free novella for the start of the series. And it's so funny because in the podcast, he's never even tried Amazon ads, doesn't even know about them, you know? <laughs> so he's the other side. He's doing only Facebook ads and you're doing only Amazon ads and you're both successful. I love it. Maybe I got to take a few lessons from that guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitively. And you know what? Even in the podcast, he's mentioned that he's taking on authors, but only a few because he's not, He's not a book promoter. He's not, you know, a writing school. He just wants to help a couple of authors, probably in fiction. He's a fiction writer. So that's another thing I like. He does it with fiction. You are going nonfiction, and it shows you can make, make it in both. And you're both new, relatively new. And, you know, so all those naysayers out there that are saying, oh, yeah, Amazon, that was in 2010, you know, the early days. You can't do that anymore. Yeah, baloney. Look at you and uh, Shane Silvers. It's It's... It's totally possible. So, so you're a great example, Gregory. So, <laughs> well, you know what the path I took is not necessarily the best path for everyone. You know, it, it depends upon many factors, some of which are in your control and some of which are not. And again, it all depends on the book you're writing because every book is going to be a completely different product in a completely different market. Right? The yeah. way I write and the kind of people I appeal to are not necessarily going to be the people that you appeal to and are fit the way that you write. Right. Yeah. But I really just look at the whole thing as a salesman. Like, you know, somebody gave me this product and told me to find a way to sell it. What would I do? You know, it doesn't matter that I'm the one who created the product too, although I am thinking about those things while I'm creating the product. But in terms of presentation and promotion, I'm just thinking what will instantly convince anyone who becomes aware of this? Oh yes, that's the book I want. That's worth my money. Right. Right. So, okay. What about um, your next projects? What's on the horizon? Well, I am writing, you know, a few more books, one of which I actually started 
before the influential author. Uh, so this is like two years ago and it kind of blew up out of my control. It's only 50,000 words. So it's, you know, it's not that long of a book that works out to, you know, probably less than 200 pages, a uh, pretty, pretty typical length of a book compared to the 130,000 that went into the influential author. Yeah. But, and this is something I talked to about in the book, you know, the length of the book is not what determines how long it's going to take to write it or, or how yeah. hard you're going to have to edit it, right? It's the complexity of the message. And in the yeah. case of this book, the working title is The Exceptional Identity, or the, no, The Exceptional Individual. Sorry, I'm getting my own books mixed up. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, I, I almost had the book done like the first, the first draft of it. And I even uh, submitted it to some beta readers who gave me some good feedback on it. And I started thinking, okay, how, how can I prepare to launch this book on Amazon? And this was all like, you know, almost two years ago. And then I realized during the process of beta reading, this isn't going as broad or as deep as I want this book to go. Hmm. I'm not reaching the right people here. And the message is not as complex and, and detailed as I want it to be. Yeah. And then I just, started editing and editing and editing and rewriting and rewriting and restructuring and restructuring. And then I got too busy with the influential author and this one's been on the back burner for the entire time. And I still go back to it and touch it up uh, pretty frequently. And, and I'm hoping it will be ready within the next few months, but you know, that's, that's the nature of being an author and an editor and a publisher and a promoter yep. is I think it's a good idea in some cases to have many projects going simultaneously each at a different stage of development because it never gets boring at least because you're always doing different types of work on different projects and it gives yep. you a chance to slow down and reflect okay, is this actually the direction I want to take this in is this actually the best tactic right okay so what was the name of it well the, the working title is the exceptional individual it's something of a, of a series of advice for uh, what I call you know people who who realize that the rules of the game that everyone else is playing by philosophically don't apply to them. They have a fundamentally different way of looking at the world and they need a different set of rules to live by to match their exceptional nature. Uh -huh. So I'm reading here and you were talking about some other people you're helping get bail, leave jail. Yeah, that's um, get bail, leave jail is, is, the author is Sean Plotkin. He's a California bail bondsman who I've been working with to, to prepare. And his book should be published shortly. Uh, and it's the first and only guide in the form of a book to everything you need to know about hiring and working with a bail bondsman. Interesting. Not, it's not something I've ever thought of before because I don't anticipate ever getting arrested. But <laughs> yeah. if you ever do yeah. get arrested, you know, rightfully or wrongfully, call him up. <laughs> it's, it's kind of essential to understand, like, you know, what your options are for getting released before you go to trial, you know, and, and, yeah. and bail bondsmen are, you know, the primary way that you do that unless you have a lot of money to pay your own bail. And as I've learned working with him on this book, it's even if you can afford your own bail, it's often not a good idea to actually put up your own money for bail for reasons he goes into. And it is actually better strategically to use a bail bondsman. And hmm. so, it, and this was a good opportunity, similar to the tax book, U.S. Taxes for Worldly Americans that I helped my accountant friend yeah. Olivia Wagner produce. This is the kind of highly detailed and in some cases highly vital and important information that is just sorely misunderstood because there's yeah. just not a lot of good sources of information about it. So if you're the kind of person who ever needs a bail bondsman, 
where do you go for information? You Google things, you, you look things up in the yellow pages and you call your local bail bondsman and say, hey, how does this work? How do I know I can trust you? How much money do you charge? What's the process going to be like moving forward? How do you tell a good bondsman from a bad bondsman and so on and so forth? And that's a really bad combination when you have obscurity mm-hmm. combined with high consequences, such yeah. as you know, uh, pissing off the IRS or staying in jail for the rest of your life. <laughs> that sounds like some valuable information for sure. And so you are mentoring him or helping him? I, I am overseeing the production. He's writing the book, but I'm overseeing the editing, the beta reading, the publication, and the promotion of the book. And it is nearly ready for release. We, we've cool. got a little bit of a roadblock and will probably be out after the holidays. So what about the other one, Venus and Her Lover? Venus and Her Lover was written by a woman named Becca Tizigani, who actually met in my home in Ecuador. Cool. Who has been on this journey around the world for the last 20 years of learning about uh, tantric sexuality and a lot of interesting ancient philosophies that she has compiled into sort of this manifesto of hidden truths about our nature as men and women and how we interact with each other and how that applies on the individual level of our relationships and the large worldwide political system that we call our earth, you know? And it's very deep, dense, esoteric, very lengthy. We ended up splitting it into two two volumes of about 400 pages each. Wow. And it's it's essentially her life's work, right? And it's, you know, I'm not the target reader for this kind of book, but I see the people who are and I see how they respond to it. And it's definitely giving me some new perspective on types of readers and types of books and how people respond with in some cases, really deep passion and fanaticism for a certain kind of book. Like I've, I've not yeah. seen anything like that for my books. Interesting. So I would, I would just instantly recommend if she's got that much material that she should immediately break out something as a freebie and putting up Amazon right now, you know, like a free something from a free book. But okay. Uh, so... That, that is uh, also valuable information, sounds like. So let me know when those two books are coming out. And then, uh, yeah, maybe do another podcast, maybe. So, sure, I, you, could, you can get one of them on if you want. Yeah, I mean, uh, they both sound interesting. We can talk about that after the podcast, too. Uh, okay, so what about audiobooks? This is something that I've been having a problem with because I'm in Germany. And the uh, American Amazon.com ACX platform was blocked for a while. Uh, I'll have to check again. But uh, what's your process or for audiobooks? Or do you make audiobooks? I do. I always do audio. And I think it's, it's a big shame when self-published authors neglect to do audio, except maybe in very rare cases where there's just no market for audio at all, like a cookbook or something. Uh-huh. But in, in general, uh, for some genres of books, audio is extremely popular, like business books, for example. I, really? The audio book for Brand Identity Breakthrough has consistently sold extremely well. I've probably sold uh, over 2,000 copies in the last two years in audio. Which you is see, I thought it audio. would be for fiction, the other way around. Fiction would be more, nonfiction would be less audio books, you know, but... Well, it, it could be. I haven't, I haven't published fiction yet, so I couldn't oh, yeah. tell you. It could, it could be that fiction is even better in audio, in which case, you know, do it, definitely. Yeah. But at least for nonfiction, uh, the way I see it, if you're going to put all this effort and money into promoting your book and getting visitors to your Amazon page and hoping that they buy the book, why would you only offer them two ways to purchase it instead of three? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And especially because 
most people in my experience who like audiobooks only like audiobooks or they really, really strongly prefer audiobooks. In other words, mm -hmm. even if a book looks amazing, but it's not available in audio, I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to yeah. read it, you know, because yeah. I just don't digest information at the pace I want to that way. Right. But if you have it in audio, yeah, I'll buy it right away, especially if I can use my Audible member credit to do it. Yeah, but noticing that too, I'm preferring audiobooks now too because I don't have time to read and it's just faster. And uh, only certain books I will still read and waste my eyes on them, you know, <laughs> getting older and all that. But um, so, okay, but um, where, what's your setup for recording? Well, you don't even have to record it yourself, although, you know, there are some advantages to doing it that way. Like, of course, you don't have to pay a narrator. And also, you know, reading your own work out loud gives you a very different perspective on it, too. Like, you catch yeah. mistakes or you, you phrase things differently because, you know, oh, that's not how I want to say that, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's useful from that perspective. Uh, it's it's not, you don't need a lot of expensive equipment. You know, I'm, I'm talking to you right now through the same microphone that I use to narrate my most recent book. It was a few hundred dollars. It's just a USB plug-in mic. Okay. And it, the hardest thing is really just the environment that you record in, you know, because you can't have echo or, or yeah. background noise of any kind. So that, that can be a problem depending on where you're living or if you're a perpetual traveler like me. Yeah. But, you know, one way or another, I get it done. And it was over 13 hours of finished narration for the 500 pages in The Influential Author. Wow. And... I mean, that sounds like a lot by itself, but you have to keep in mind the actual recording and editing of the audio probably took about three times that long. Oh, yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Right. So we're, we're talking about, you know, almost 40 hours of my life. Yeah. I'm just working on it a couple hours a day, right, for, for mm. a few weeks. Post-production, they call it. Yeah, editing and mastering and making sure it's all in the format that yeah. the ACX needs to publish it. Uh, and so, you know, now, that's not that much compared to the time it takes to write and edit a book, right? If you're going to spend hundreds of hours of your time writing and editing a book, what's another couple dozen to record the audio? That's my perspective, at least. Yeah. And considering the massive amount of additional revenue and exposure that can bring, it is almost always worth the trouble it takes to do it. Again, unless you're writing in, in a genre that just, for some reason, nobody would ever want to listen to that in audio. So... Um did you have any problem with country codes and being blocked because you were in a different country from uploading to ACX and Amazon.com, right? Uh, I have never had that issue, no. But if you are facing that issue, I would suggest perhaps a VPN. Yeah, yeah, okay. Virtual private network, yeah. Another thing I got to buy. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe they've opened it up again. It's been a while since I've tried. I'm, I'm making my own too. So what was that microphone that you use? I'm using a Rode, uh, what's the model number here, NT-USB, something like that. Okay. But there, there, are tons, there are tons of options out there for less than a few hundred dollars. Okay, yeah, because that's definitely also on my list. I've actually started uh, with my audiobooks too, and it's pretty fun actually. So, all right, so um, is your book still on sale? Or it's on Amazon already, right? Yes, it is actually. I, I'm still waiting for the audio to process, so that should be up there within a few days. But the ebook and the paperback are up there now. Still on ninety nine cents right now. It yes, the the ebook is ninety nine cents currently, though I may change that very soon. So if you want to get it cheap, check it now and see if it's still at that price. Okay. What else? Um, what? Where? Where can we find you online? 
Well, if you want to talk to me about publishing, identitypublications.com is the name of my publishing company. You can send me an email, gregory at identitypublications.com, or you can, I don't know, add me on Facebook. Okay. And the influential author is on sale right now on Amazon and anybody else? It should shortly be on, you know, all the major sites, Kobo, Barnes and Noble and so forth. But for now, just Amazon. Cool. I'm, I'm loving the book. Like I said, I started reading it and uh, I highly recommend it. The Influential Author. All right, my friend. Well, how about um, your number one tip for our beginning readers and publishers out there? Number one tip is have something worth saying. Don't write a book just for the sake of writing a book. And that's really the crux of why I wrote The Influential Author, to convince people not to just write vanity projects or, oh, I have an idea for a book. Wouldn't it be interesting? But really <laughs> write something that you have deep passion for and that you have reason to believe that a large number of other people will think is an amazing book too. Use that as your North Star when approaching book writing and publishing and you'll have a much higher chance of success. Cool. That's a good one. Thank you very much, Gregory. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Okay, my friends, if you like that podcast, then remember to go to zbooks.co and go get all the materials to start your authoring career. We have a seven-day challenge every week, so there's no excuse to not finish your book. And remember, please go to iTunes and upvote this podcast and Google Play. Okay, I look forward to seeing you at the top.